0: Welcome to the Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the Faculty at ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. Thank you for the warm welcome today, and it is so good to see so many wonderful, familiar faces here today, so thanks for joining in. Now, I'm probably not supposed to admit this, but I cringe and grind my teeth whenever Proverbs 31 is read or the Proverbs 31 woman is referred to. I know, it's holy scripture. I probably shouldn't cringe someone doesn't even have to mention, Proverbs 31, they can just innocently invite me to a women's retreat or a pastor's wives retreat and I have this automatic cringe reflex. I know, it's not good. There's wonderful people that go to those retreats and design those retreats. And as I do self analysis on why I have this cringe reflex, I think it's because all I can picture is women sitting around knitting and scrapbooking and changing recipes and talking about the roles of wife and mother. While those are all wonderful things and exceedingly important roles, those images just don't fit me. And I'd feel this yoke of pressure to be, to act a certain way. I'd feel less than because I don't fit a certain mold. I've led in the church since I was about 23 years old and I was single up until just before my 42nd birthday. The roles of wife and mother weren't even a speck in my eye. Now like I said those roles of wife or mother are wonderful, exceedingly important, should be honored. They just weren't on my radar and aren't the only roles for women. When Joe, my now husband, and I were starting to get serious, my fear started to grow on how now I'd have to fit into this mold of womanhood and marriage and motherhood and be a domestic wife. Just anyone that knows me knows I'm not the sitting at home, crocheting, doing laundry, cooking for my family type. Nothing wrong with those things. It's just not me or who God called me to be. So with much trembling, I remember when uh, Joe, my then fiance and his two girls, I remember blurting out to him one day, I'm really a terrible cook. Most days I don't even have three meals. The girls are going to starve. And he calmly said to me, "Uh, I already know. The first time you had me in for supper, you served me toast. And besides, I like to cook and know how to cook. He wasn't putting me in that mold. I was putting myself in that mold. And so today, I want to share two molds that I had to realize I was putting myself in that were not from God. And God was inviting me to break those molds. And as I share today, I invite God to show you any molds that you have put yourself in that God is inviting you to break. The first mold for me was breaking this mold of this boxed-in vision I had of being a wife and a mom and leading at the same time. There's no one mold of what it means to be a man or a woman, a, a wife or a husband, a mom or a dad. Together in your home, you figure it out together based on different seasons and different gifts and different priorities. And the second mold I realized I had squeezed myself into was as a woman in leadership. I had to think again about what leadership looks like. As I looked around, there was very few role models of female pastors. And so as I looked to other examples, there were many top men, not all, but some, the ones that I saw succeeding and thriving in some of the churches were arrogant, charismatic, macho men. And I thought, that's so not me. And I felt this unarticulated pressure to erase my womanhood, to pretend I wasn't the woman that I am, to lead as a man would or someone else would. And yet I knew within myself that wasn't faithfulness to God and who God created me to be, called me to be. And you can feel that pressure too, whether you're male or female, that pressure to lead like someone else. I'm sure all of us listening have felt that pressure to lead like another leader we know? Who are you tempted to emulate? So as I wrestled with these molds in my life and in relationship with God, one of the scriptures that I had to wrestle with was Proverbs 31, because it's so often shared, particularly with women, about the standard of who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to live, how to be a noble woman, And too often, Proverbs 31 is used as a checklist, an impossible standard of who a woman is supposed to be and who a man is supposed to look for in a partner. And checklists, hoops, expectations to fit a certain mold are burdensome. And some of us, men and women, have been carrying the baggage of the superhero Proverbs 31 person, and it's weighed us down. Who is this superwoman? It sounds like a recipe for burnout, loneliness, and complete independence. I sat down and I tried to calculate how many hours this woman would have to be awake in a single day to select the woolen flax, to be like the merchant ships going out early in the wee hours of the morning, providing food for her family and servants, going and buying a field, planting and caring for her vineyard, working at her arms because apparently she never neglected arm day and had biceps that would make the men swoon, to do profitable trading, care for the poor, making linen and clothes for her family and to sell, and enough that it would keep them warm in winter, looking over the household and the balance book, and the children arise like robots, obedient children every morning, never do the words, oh mommy, it's so early, why are you waking us up? come out of their mouths. Instead, they arise and say, oh, mommy, you're so blessed. And all this I calculate would take a minimum of 36 hours a day. I'd love to have the stanima of this woman up before dawn, industrious and productive, never a lazy Netflix day. Wouldn't you like to be as rich as this woman today, buying her own land, planting a vineyard? please hear this. This woman is not real. She is a fabrication. She is a conglomeration of various women the writer sees around him in this day. So we must ask, how can such an unattainable checklist fit our gospel of grace, which sets us free and tells us we don't earn our salvation, that righteousness is a gift given to us from God? How can this checklist of requirements for to be a godly woman be anything but an unnecessary yoke. Have you, have we in our own ministries, our own lives put this unnecessary yoke on women? And honestly, at times we have. I have felt it, other women I've talked to have felt it. And I'm all for calling men and women to godly character, being transformed in Jesus but I'm not for putting an unnecessary yoke on one gender and forcing them to fit into a mold that doesn't necessarily jive with the person, and the gifts that God created them to be. So remember the woman in Proverbs 31, she's a fabrication, she's not real. She's a conglomeration of numerous women. So this isn't meant to be a job description for one woman. Please stop using it that way and putting that unnecessary yoke on yourself and others around you. Proverbs 31 is supposed to be a blessing and an affirmation of the various good moments and good things everyday women do. But it's not one woman. Proverbs 31 isn't prescriptive. It's not telling you, you must fit this mold. You must be like this woman. It's not prescriptive. It's descriptive of the multiple good characteristics to be celebrated in the various numerous women around. Recall that the book of Proverbs was written primarily to a male audience. It tells us it's the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. And throughout Proverbs, we see it addressed to my son. And it's a wisdom book that's supposed to teach us the difference between being the fool, the mocker, or the wise. And Proverbs repeatedly points out you become wise not by following a checklist, not just by head knowledge, that true wisdom is knowledge applied, living it out. It's not just knowing all the facts about cars, it's knowing how you change a tire. And Proverbs repeatedly tells us we become wise by fearing and following the Lord. And this Proverb 31 is the epilogue at the very end of the book. So it wouldn't be logical for the book to conclude with suddenly a checklist for one woman. It's a very interesting accumulation to the book. Throughout the Old Testament, wisdom is portrayed as a woman. And in Proverbs 31, we see what wisdom looks like when it's personified, when it's lived out in various ways in our world. And a wise man or a wise woman will look and notice noble character in other human beings around them. They'll notice where wisdom is being lived out. So my first point was you should never use Proverbs 31 as a checklist for just one woman. But next, that this is a poem or psalm of praise. It looks around the world thanking God for the places where the writer sees women should be honored and praised. And so our second point is Proverbs 31 should spur us on to notice those around us that are being neglected and the good they're doing and how to celebrate them. So if we read Proverbs 31 prescriptively, it's a heavy burden, a heavy yoke for both men and women. If we read this proverb as a celebration of the good we see women doing around us, it becomes an invitation to celebrate the contribution of women all around. In academia, in the home, in churches, in business, in politics, in our communities. So imagine with me such a community that fellow leaders don't criticize when another another person's ministry looks different, or they hear someone else preach, or they see a church doing things differently, or a couple raising their kids differently, or a couple working out their roles differently, or single women forging their own community. They don't criticize, but quite the opposite. They praise, they celebrate, they encourage. We look around and we point out the good that female leaders are doing all around. And oh yes, male leaders too. And notice Proverbs 31 does include celebrating women that are taking leadership roles. Roles like buying land, negotiating, trading, caring for the needy. Those are all roles that take real leadership. And Proverbs 31 points out that there are women who broke the mold of the culture of their day and the mold of the culture many of us have created in our own churches. Proverbs 31 notices, too, that women taught and led. Earlier in Proverbs 31, we have a woman mentioned that seems to have broken the mold. Look back at the opening of Proverbs 31, verses 1 and 2. It tells us the sayings of King Lemuel, an inspired utterance from his mother taught him. Listen, my son, listen, son of my womb. So here we have a king listening to and allowing his mother's words to mold him and shape him. And here King Lemuel is a grown man. He's a king, a leader. But that didn't stop him from receiving teaching and wisdom from a woman. He respected and valued his, woman's, uh, his mother's words. And these words are included in our wisdom literature as inspired in our Bibles. And so it, may we too value and respect and include the wisdom and teaching of women. Drop down and look at verse 26. It says she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. One of the praise items this writer notices in women of noble character is they have wisdom to instruct others. They teach, they influence. And many women around us have wise words to share and to teach from the pulpit, the boardroom as CEOs and executive, government officials and leaders in our communities. Are we giving them a place to share their wisdom and insight? Are we opening our tables to the voice of these women? Because Proverbs 31 is about character. It's about looking for and finding wisdom, finding noble character and celebrating, celebrating it whatever vessel that comes in, whatever vessel that wisdom comes in, men or women, rich or poor, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Wisdom doesn't silence or ignore the voice of another. Wisdom listens for the voice of another. Wisdom celebrates wisdom wherever it is found. So as I began to look around in my own life, I saw much wisdom around me. So many examples of women breaking the mold. And so today I want to give you permission to break the mold. Look around. See the biblical examples of women leading. Now, despite the patriarchal society of the day, the troubling stories, the law we read in the Bible about how women were treated, despite all of that, we see women leading. Have you noticed them, celebrated them, both in your own life and the life of your church? Let's just list a few today. We have Deborah, a prophet, a judge, a military leader. She's the commander-in-chief chief for Israel, leading many men. Miriam, a prophetess and worship leader that was key in helping bring Israel out of Egypt. Huldah, a prophetess who Josiah chose to consult when during his reign, he rediscovered the law. And among all the prophets, including all the male prophets, he chose Huldah. There's Rahab of Jericho who hid the Israelite spies Hannah, who offered her son Samuel to God, Ruth, who led her mother-in-law into a mother into a fresh new restart, and who, by the way, is the one who initiated things with her man Boaz. There's Esther, who defiantly spoke up against her husband King Xerxes, who she was forced to marry at risk to her own life. She spoke up to save the lives of the Jewish people. There's Tamar who outsmarted dishonorable men to defend herself. There's Mary of Bethany who was encouraged to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn the Torah all the while ignoring the womanly duties of preparing the meal that her sister was looking after. The female disciples of Jesus. There's the 12 male disciples of Jesus, but also an unspecified number of female disciples of Jesus. That welcomed them into their homes, financed the ministry, followed Jesus, and did all the things the other disciples did. And most of the twelve abandoned Jesus at his death, but the women stuck by his side at his death, at his burial, at his resurrection, all through it all, and as the first witnesses. Then we have Junia, who Paul wrote about in Romans 16:7, saying, "Greet Andronicus." Car- Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, me. they are outstanding among the apostles. Junia is the first and only woman in scripture named as an apostle, and she's called outstanding. Then we have Phoebe, a deacon and leader in the early church mentioned in Romans 16. And most today think Phoebe was Paul's courier for the Book of Romans. And so she would have delivered the book, but she also would have been responsible for explaining the book. She probably read it out loud and answered the early Roman Christians questions about that letter. So Phoebe was the first commentator on the Book of Romans. Oh, women have been leading and breaking the mold since the very beginning. There is no mold. Use your gifts, lead, look around and see those that we can celebrate today. Anna Robbins leading at ADC with integrity and deep theology and grace. Jennifer Lau leading at CBM with wisdom and heart. And you, we wanna add your name to the list. We need to tell our stories of women of faith through the ages and today. We need to, just as Proverbs 31 calls us to, rise up and call them blessed, to notice, to name, to declare the goodness of God, the gifts of God we see in the girls and the women around us. Call out their gifts. Don't let them bury their gifts or squeeze them into an unforgiving mold. All the roles are open to men and women. So especially... If uh, as a girl or as a woman, you've been told that certain roles aren't for you, break that mold. The community benefits and celebrates when those gifts are not buried, but are brought to light and used. Imagine if the women, remember it's multiple women described in Proverbs 31, buried their gifts. What a sad community that would have been. No colored clothes, no getting food from afar, little trade, and what wisdom would have been buried. So male or female, don't bury your gifts. Don't bury who you are. Use it for the kingdom. When we tell anyone to bury their gifts because of their gender or because of their race, or we don't give them a place to share and lead and use those gifts, what an injustice we commit. When we ourselves bury our own gifts, because we think we can't because of our gender or our race, what an injustice we commit before God. So my goal today is to give you permission to break the mold. You fan into the flame the gifts that God has given you. Let nothing damper it, nothing extinguish it, and don't be afraid to break the mold. Molds are just false constructs anyway. And God brings us into new spacious lands and calls us to be the best of ourselves, to flourish. And so you bring your whole self into the kingdom. You bring your maleness. You bring your femaleness. We bring our personhood and our gifts, all of us, to be used by God as our unique selves in the kingdom. The world needs you. The kingdom needs you not to be someone else, not to lead as if you were a different gender or a different race or made with a different mold. The kingdom needs you to lead from your personhood, a person that has been made a royal priesthood for God's kingdom. So what do we take away from today? Well, let's celebrate and call out the gifts of girls and women. And you don't bury your own gifts. Oh, imagine the church community that allows every person to flourish, to exercise their gifts to the fullest and celebrates that. Not silencing it, not threatened by it, not dismissing a gift because it looks different when it's manifested by that gender or that race or that person. Praise God that our gifts look different when we bring them to life in the world. The church needs to see what truly happens when our gifts and gifts of both men and women are celebrated, not just tolerated, but allowed to flourish and given free reign for men and women to work together for the kingdom. So friends, let's break some molds. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media, Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca, or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.